Welcome to episode 35 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I'm excited to be in great company now that On the Schmooze is a C-Suite Radio headliner. C-Suite Radio is a hub for business podcasts. You should check it out at c-suiteradio.com to discover other business podcasts. It's part of the C-Suite Network, and they also have C-Suite TV, where you can watch in-depth interviews with business content for leaders and entrepreneurs. The good news, it's all on demand. Check it out at c dash suitetv.com and c dash suiteradio.com. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a best-selling author and a sought-after keynote speaker. Known as the Mingling Maven, she gives her multi-generational audiences the required tools, techniques, and strategies they need to connect and communicate in today's global business world. Her practical, informative, and interactive presentations are known for what the San Francisco Chronicle calls her dynamite sense of humor. A former teacher, she now lectures at major universities and keynotes for Fortune 500 companies. Over 25 years ago, she released her groundbreaking bestseller, How to Work a Room, and is now considered the undisputed and the original networking and conversation expert. That was the first of her seven best-selling books, and she has sold over a million books worldwide. Nearly three decades later, she continues to create and shape the industry she launched. Please join me in welcoming Susan Rowan. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you, Robbie. Susan, thank you so much for joining me from your office in the Bay Area. So I want to just jump right in. I know my audience will be curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks, tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? You know, that's very interesting. I have a feeling there is so much emphasis now on leadership. That's all we're talking about. But there's a time that I think the people who are leaders, they're so busy actually leading, they don't sit and talk about and think about <laughs> what they're doing. Um, it's, it's like the same people that say, oh, I'm so spiritual. Well, if you have to tell me, maybe you're not. But to me, I think leadership, I look to people who I admire whether they're leading in a business sense, whether it was Leah Coco, whether it's the woman that was the head of the Girl Scouts, whether it's, you know, people for whatever reason adored, you know, Steve Jobs. I had the pleasure of being in a shareholders meeting and listening to Tim Cook, who I was just smitten with. But we always think of them as leaders. Uh, we sometimes think of politicians as leaders but, you know, that would go more to Winston Churchill, FDR, etc. But I, I think that leadership has to do with having a great deal, not only of knowledge, but of experience, but of being of the kind of person that sees potential. I think of my friend whose retirement dinner I went to, who saw the potential in the receptionist at the nonprofit who served uh, adults with disabilities. And he wanted, he t- she'll tell me, she told me the story. I used it in an article. He wanted her to be 
you know, an assistant. And she didn't think she had the skill. And I'll never forget when I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, she said, he saw in me potential I didn't know I had in myself. That's a wonderful and, sign of a leader. And then if they, if you back away from it, that leader doesn't back away from you. Mm. And I stood up and listened to person after person give kudos and gratitude to this man who saw something in them. And then I found out also co-signed for some of their car and home loans. Wow. Which I knew back then I didn't have to the extent. So who's a leader? Someone that stands up and stands for. And I know everyone's going to hate to hear it in this world of here's seven hacks to get you from your first job to being the CEO. Really? Do you know what hackers happens to hackers? Stop using that word. It's a lifelong process, and I think that's what leadership is. Yeah, I bet you find the kid that kind of put together something in sixth grade was the kid that might have run for student council in sophomore year. So I think we need to nurture people at all levels. And I'd like to say this for those of you that are parents or teachers or aunt and uncles, nurture that young child to see themselves as a leader Okay, now I'm going to show my prejudice, okay? I'm so tired of hearing about thought leaders. This is the tweet I send every other month. I want to know about thoughtful leaders. <laughs> That's awesome. So you touched on this. Uh, was there, Susan, someone in your life that saw some sort of potential in you? Was there early evidence of you having leadership qualities? Was someone giving you an opportunity to lead? Well, I didn't know I had leadership qualities. I think we were in the eighth grade. And my um, seatmate, um, who we are still friends all these years later, uh, she, who, who also was a leader, ended up being one of the big um, leaders in the uh, Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, a couple of our classmates said, you know, this Mr. K, he goes so fast, I'm not understanding the math or the science. We heard that from a number of the kids. And she and I took it upon ourselves to approach the teacher and say to him, you know, we get you, but some of the students need you to maybe explain it a second time a little slower. Well, this guy got in such a huff. He said, really, you don't think I can teach Teach yourselves. And what we did is we organized our class <laughs> that we taught all the lessons for a week. Now that I think about it, were we ever just schmoes? I mean, this guy sat there with and did nothing but twiddle the thumbs. We picked the smart kid in math. You teach the math lesson. You teach the science lesson. You teach the history lesson. And I think that we have another word for that, too. It's called a you-know-what disturber. But when someone turns it around on you and says, you do it, we did it. So I think it really started. It showed in eighth grade. Sure thing it did. I mean, other people may not have heard their uh, classmates' concerns or taken them seriously or not taken them to the teacher. Or if the teacher had balked at them, may have just stepped down and stood back and said, well, that I did my part. But to then follow through and organize a group 
to teach themselves. I mean, what skills came from that, right? What experiences you sort of gave them all a sense of how the world could be. You don't have to take shoddy, you know, training if you can figure out how to train yourselves. And it's beautiful. Well, I think it shows something else too. And I think this is a sign of a leader, not just me, but I think other people it's called, and I don't know, I we're hearing this word bandied about, it's more than empathy. You have to have your antenna up all the time. So when you overhear a kid saying, I didn't understand this, or you overhear someone saying, you know, I really want to do this. I tried this. This didn't work. You have to hear what people are saying. You, By the way, and this is in my book, Savvy Networking, it's real easy. Any numbnut can make something happen for themselves. But the real quality, this is my Chicago upbringing talking of being the networker is making things happen for other people. That's what really counts. I think that's what leaders do. And they're able, as I think about Carl, they're able to stand back when they need to be quiet and let the other person proceed, experiment, blossom. Mm-hmm. That's God, wonderful. I really can't. Oh, I'm so eloquent. I can't even believe that. I think I sound like a gardener. No, really, that that whole thing about watching people blossom is yeah. maybe that's the teacher in me, Robbie. Yeah. So you taught for quite a number of years. Uh, tell me a little about how you got started doing that and what, what oh, drew, drew you to this. that. Back in the day, they really needed teachers. And when I graduated University of Illinois and wanted to be in advertising, I went on an interview in Chicago, and I can't remember which famous advertising company it was, because I was pretty good with the words and the slogans, and I thought, hey, I this would be great English major, puns, you got it. And I interviewed with someone who looked at me. I can see her face. I can still see her chewing gum while she talked to me. And she said, you know how to work a comptometer? Robbie, I didn't know what a comptometer was. And I thought, this is not for me. And I thought, I didn't work my butt off to get a split English history degree to work a comptometer. And my friends were, and it goes back to, you stay in touch with your friends. My friends who graduated before me, we were still in touch. One of the friends moved to California and the other one said, oh, Susan, we have a job opening at our school. We'll talk to the principal for you. So all of you sitting there going, well, we invented networking. Really? Your great grandparents invented networking. Don't think you did. Because that's what people always did. And I did. I went and became a teacher in the Chicago public schools. I think the requirements was to have a pulse rate and or an IQ of 50. But maybe it was a little bit more than that. I taught the, I taught in the bad old days. I learned how to be strong. I learned to see what happened in really bad circumstances. Um, I taught in tough neighborhoods. So by the time I came to San Francisco and they said, oh, you're going to substitute in a tough neighborhood, I said, it's got a lawn. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think I learned a lot from teaching and I learned a lot from the kids. But I also wasn't afraid to, after I taught school all day, go to whatever it was called then Northeastern Teachers College or something, pick up the the teacher classes that I need. So it's really, it's 
an ongoing lifelong learning process, which goes back to leaders. They don't stop learning. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that to get the credentials and the money. So I guess that was kind of make it very practical. Mm. But one of the things I would do is I'd sit in an education class and I had just been at the worst school in Chicago. And I'm like laughing, listening to all this theoretical stuff going, <laughs> yeah, you're not saying what you're doing with the other 29 kids that are having an insurrection. That's not going to work. But how would I get this material if I hadn't had this life? You know, I heard a little bit about your story about how you transitioned from that to becoming really known for networking and how it really, I think this is true for a lot of entrepreneurs. This is definitely a lot of entrepreneurs sort of came into being in in 2008 and 2009 when the economy really tanked. It was honestly having, you know, sort of tragedy strike and your options and opportunities taken away from you. You know, if you have the entrepreneurial spirit, you you jump in and you find the next thing. But you did this at a time when that wasn't something we all talked about. Entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. Uh, there wasn't someone leading the way. I mean, aside from you finding the topic that you so clearly flourished, you also had to find your way into making it into a profession. So what was that experience like? You, you must have had quite the shift from a structured day-to-day to, okay, I'm on my own. Oh, my God, what a shift. But here's what I will say. A lot of us are in our own business. We are the accidental entrepreneurs. Something happened and you had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, Given that I've now said I'm the person that I think pays attention and listens to things, I had people calling me when San Francisco Unified was laying off 1,200 teachers. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And one of the women, the third time she called me and I gave her a good idea, and she said she couldn't do it. I, I lost my patience and said, you got two gifted sons. You should be able to do something. And then I realized perhaps I was a little not gentle enough. <laughs> but what I learned is what we know from is what we know from teaching is you have to take people through a process. And I decided to create a career change workshop for teachers because George Bernard Shaw said those that can't the those that can do and those that can't teach, which is the worst thing. And he is wrong. Because if you look around at some of the famous people who used to teach, Madeline Albright, Bill O'Reilly, Sting. Sting did not teach music. Sting was an English teacher. Yeah, English. Of course, he's from England. Kind of makes sense. But, you know, I think that having that inside of me made me realize that people have to go through the process. And um, because I was political at the time, now I still am, I ran it through uh, Willie Brown's office. Willie Brown was then the assembly, um, speaker of the assembly, and I knew him because I'd been active in women's politics and knew someone in his office. And it goes back to building your network. Sure. We don't know who we know We can put all these people up in databases and we can have like a thousand people on LinkedIn. Folks, that's not the people you really know. You really have to sit down, go through those lists and have it in front of you. And I'd have to say in a paper and pencil activity so you can actually look at it and say, oh, 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 I forgot. My cousin's cousin is the CEO of whatever or my cousin's nephew who made it. Actually, my brother's nephew made it to Forbes 
30 scientists under the age of 30. Wow, congratulations. Really? Yeah, I mean, not on my side of the family, but I'm taking credit anyway. And do you see what I just did? I brought in something that's true, that's personal, that relates to business. And what I did is, and this is what I believe we do when we want to converse with people, borrow other people's lives. Hmm. Because I don't have kids. So I can talk about my great nephew or my brother's nephew or my friend's, you know, five-year-old son is a San Francisco Warriors fan. If we borrow other people's lives, we always have something to talk about. But we won't if we don't listen to people and pay attention to their stories. Mm. So what do you love most and or What's been most rewarding about the work you've been doing? Well, when I've written a book and it's finished and it's in a bookstore, the sitting down and having to write it, not really the fun you might think it is. I know. But, I'm in that process right now. <laughs> oh, it's such an is. I think all told, it's the thing I really love the most. There are two things. One is when someone asks me to autograph a book. But one time I had a guy say, God, you write a lot. And I'm like, really? Uh, you are making fun of me because I'm personalizing an autograph. <laughs> but I, I have to say the fun is asking people something about them and making an autograph for who they are, what they're doing, what they're interested in. Maybe a little pun and watching them smile as I read it to them. Mm. That's one thing. The other thing I really love, oh, by the way, can I tell you what I hate about having my own business for 37 years? Sure. Paperwork. Ah. The paperwork and with the bookkeeper and with the CPA and with the 1099s. And with, oh, my. But guess what? We have to do what we have to do. And the one thing one of my colleagues told me, and I want to share this with people, when we are starting out on our own, we do everything. Mm -hmm. This is the Susan Rowan advice. Don't go into debt because someone's going to offer you, if you only pay them a thousand a month, they'll do these things. Don't go into debt for that which you put your tush in a chair and you do until you can afford not to do that. Well, I think it's also important, Susan, because only by doing that do you learn enough about it to hire the right people and know they're doing a quality job. I mean, when I used to run fundraising events, I learned a lot about bookkeeping and about graphic design, not things that I wanted to be in charge of. But if I ever had to talk to people about budgets or, you know, invitation design, I needed to have a vocabulary that that vendor could understand me and I understand what their limitations were. I couldn't just, you know, hand it off and then trust, right? So part of us being a business owner is you know, understanding enough about your business and then, yes, getting the right team of people. I mean, now everyone's got their virtual assistants and our fancy software. But again, 30 some odd years ago, that was definitely not the case. But yeah, I agree. Like get started, do the work yourself. You know, hopefully you're building things while you're still working some other job because, you know, step out. I think Dory Clark said this to me once. She was trying to get me to leave my job many and I know she's a good friend of yours as well. She, she yeah. was trying to get me to leave my job before I was ready. And she said, well, 
at some point your your job is going to get away of your business and you'll know well, and you will know but here's the other thing that's why having san francisco layoffs i've said to people if san francisco didn't lay off 1200 teachers I'd have already been retired from teaching, but then I'd be bored because I don't play bridge or mahjong. I'd really be really bored Um, or garden. That's for sure. And here's the nice thing about when you have something of your own, nobody can fire you, which is great. But what Patricia Fripp, who's really one of my heroes and, and I can tell you the story of how I first met her. um, She has always said, don't quit your day job till your calendar is full. Right. There's another school of thought. Quit and all these things you will make happen. This is said by people that have no math and bookkeeping skills. <laughs> I mean, we really have to be logical. There's a gentleman out here, very well known, Dr. Marty Nemco. He's a PhD from Berkeley who wrote, I think, Careers for Dummies. And he just said this idea of you know, follow your passion and the money will follow. Tell that to the landlord. So what I'm saying is let's be practical. Stay in what you're doing and build something in your off hours. I didn't have that choice because they did lay off the teachers. Otherwise, I say I'd still be teaching. I love teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, I was. And we who speak still are teaching. Mm Mm-hmm. You're just someone asked me if I miss teaching. And I said, well, I still am. The only difference is the audience requires larger chairs. <laughs> so you, uh, we talked a little bit about what's been most rewarding. You know, what are some of the challenges? I, you said a moment ago, the paperwork that, you know, <sighs> but is there some other piece to having to manage this? Or I guess as someone who's starting out, and this is why I'm, I feel so blessed that Dory introduced us because I'd love to keep following your footsteps and have another 30 years to do this. I think, you know, part of this is finding clients and getting referrals because those same client won't necessarily hire you twice or not year to year. And there's, there's a different sort of pattern to this than maybe doing consulting, right, where you might stay with the same company for six months and do things. So you've really had to obviously – the benefits of te- if you teach networking, you got to be good at networking. <laughs> yes, well, you do, but not everyone is as good as I need them to be to, you know, recommend me back. But, you know, I, I think I was blessed at the time that it happened. I had a lot of determination, a lot of energy, and I did. I had, and this goes back to how you foster a network. I had a political network because I grew up in Chicago, and what I remember learning. Not all my friends learned it is you should always be able to make a phone call to your older men or older woman and either they pick up the phone or they return it. Mm. Uh, my line that I like to say is, yeah, we usually like to buy an alderman lunch for <laughs> 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 Chicago. Um, but what I learned is, is that you have to know. Who are your representatives? Who do you know? I mean, granted, we had the Democratic machine, and I was raised in daily the first, you know, machine mingling moments. But I think being aware of what your community is, who, and I think even now it is even more imperative that we 
know what's going on, have a political network, have a social network. One of my friends is a single mom and adopted a baby, and I'm part of her village. So Auntie Susan has a child seat in her car because I've sometimes had to pick up and deliver Mm -hmm. our five-year-old from daycare or school. And, you know, I made the commitment to be part of that. So she knows she can rely on me. So, and she's a, a senior VP at a major corporation, but I'm that part of her network. And here's the tip I want to say to people. How I met her is she was someone who considered herself shy, bought how to work a room, was the marketing person at a firm, called me, wanted to hire me to speak, and we pulled together a wonderful combination with another firm. And afterwards, I said to her, oh, I have to go to Saks to do an errand. Would you like to come with me? And because of her, I bought a very lovely jacket. It's, <laughs> but that was 20 years ago. Wow. So when you talk about your network, if you always think I have to have, oh, I have to know so-and-so, and I have to know this one, and this one knows me, who knew that this relationship would blossom that I'm Auntie Susan to her daughter, mm-hmm. and she's now a senior VP at a major. And we don't really talk much about, can you hire me for whatever? I don't say that because I know she knows. Right, right. That's wonderful. And, and so where other people say, my my network is great because I know all these important people. I'm a little different. I say, I have in my life a network of people who are important to me, people who started as clients. But what I'm not willing to do is when I meet good people, and this is what I'd like to impart to listeners, when you meet good people with whom you resonate, share respect, share some laughter like we did, Robbie, when we met. Don't let go of them. Stay in touch. Mm. So I actually, one of the questions I have about that is, because you've been teaching this and you've met so many people, what are your strategies for staying in touch, right? Like, do you have, do you have a, 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 I don't know, are you tracking any of that? Are you just having, are you sending so many letters a month? I mean, I think it's easy to just, like you said, it's easy to amass LinkedIn connections it's easy to amass Twitter followers, but actually developing and nurturing and sustaining those relationships over periods of time when you have no direct reason to like connect with them, you know, when there's not a specific task or project before you need to ask for something. How do you, how do you sort of nurture those relationships? I wish I could tell you. We really tried to use one of the contact management program years ago, and it was like so confusing. And a lot of my colleagues are using Infusionsoft, and uh, what they go through, and I go, sorry, folks, been there, done that, ain't going to do that. I'm very, and I'm sure I miss some things, but I just periodically do this, and it's something I would recommend for everyone to do. Don't wait till there's a task. Don't wait for there to be a need. Stay, and this is the tip that I write about savvy networkers. They stay in touch when they need nothing. How about this? I called them the make hay while the sunshine phone calls. And the hay stands for how 
are you? One of my dear friends who actually hired me for a whole series of talks, someone said, oh, you really need to meet her. I picked up the phone and called her because when a friend says you need to meet someone, whoa, I need to meet them. That's two of my best friends came mm-hmm. from other people. And I, I just want to say that I do that. And one day we emailed back and forth. And then finally, I got back to my roots and thought to myself, I don't know how she is because I, how do I know what she means? I'm reading it. I'm not hearing her voice. And I picked up the phone, called her in her office in New York and said, enough with the email. I want to hear how you are. Mm. That changed a relationship. I think there are a lot of wonderful programs. Contactually is helpful. Uh, VIP Orbit is helpful. There are a lot of things. Tickler Files. I never liked that name. That, that always felt like it wasn't Tickler at all. But I just every so often will go through things and see, oh, here's a photo we took. What I do, send the person the photo back, even if it was from 15 years ago. I take my camera and take pictures of photos that we used to have in frames and say, boy, this brought back a great memory. Stay in touch. Hey, I just read that there were floods and whatever. Are you okay? Very few people do that. I think if we have enough knowledge, this idea of I don't read the news, it's too depressing. Hey, if there are floods in Alabama and Georgia, I want to know. I got friends there. I got to check in to make sure they're okay. Mm-hmm. I think people don't do that, and I think it's a very small way. Or someone has a kid. Stay in touch. Find out how they're doing. You know, there's so many there's so many reasons to stay in touch. And how about this old-fashioned one? The other day I was at here, and I saw someone playing a cross, and it reminded me of the story you told me about your son. That's not that one. hard. Right, right. Not hard at and, all. And, and I am not as good because I don't have, I don't do anything methodically. In fact, there was a guy that I knew who was here then moved for, with Marriott to D.C. And one day I was speaking to D.C. and he was in the audience. And I said to him, oh, how are you doing? I said, and, and how is your son? I guess he must be in about third grade by now. And he looked at me, his mouth dropped open. How, how did you know? And he thought I went to a tickler file or whatever. Yeah. And I said to him, Oh, I have a special secret. What's that? I said, when you were talking, I listened. (laughs) So I think that it sounds a little, I know it sounds not as serious as I need it, but you know, when we stop thinking about, what am I going to say next? Title of one of my books. Oh my God, What? how can I get in my pitch to that person? If we actually listen to people as they speak and focus on what they're saying and listen, we will remember more than we give ourselves credit for. But if you're playing, you know, the the album from Hamilton in your head, ain't going to work. So switching gears a little bit, because these are these are such amazing and rich tips, but I also want to dig into the the harder parts of the work that you're doing and the challenges So a common struggle for anyone striving for success is the fear of being wrong or making mistakes or failing. Tell us something that you're not very good at and how you deal with that. Oh, I'm in this. I would tell you, do don't do what I do. Do what I didn't do. 
when people ask me what I would do over again, Robbie, um, given that I majored in English and history, which means on any given night, I can get a few of the answers on Jeopardy, which doesn't exactly help your bottom line. Um, one of the things I wish I had done is taken a bookkeeping for entrepreneurs. In fact, there's a wonderful book I'm going to recommend written by someone who is a pal. It's called Accounting for the Number Phobic. Huh. And Dawn Fotopoulos, if you are running your own business or anticipating, this is a book you should have. Go to your community college. Don't sign up for some expensive, oh, if you pay me $10,000, I'll give you the key to the kingdom. Don't do that, folks. There's no such thing. That's, you know, the Wizard of Oz, you know, emperor has no clothes. Go to your community college and take what I should have. You could take a weekend class even. I think for me, it's that. So, but what are things I have done since I started my business? Because I knew I couldn't do that. I wanted to keep very um, good books. Is I always had a bookkeeper. That's my weakness. Mm-hmm. I have a friend. She loves to put those little numbers in check boxes. Shoot me first. But I have someone that loves to do that. And I've made some bad mistakes. I've had three or four really, well, two were not good and two were terrible bookkeepers. And now I then had to hire a chartered accountant and pay for her to get everything organized. And now I have just the best person who came through. We have this, and I think it's all over the country, nextdoor.com. Mm-hmm. Someone went to yeah. their next.com, which, by the way, I wrote about in the last version of How to Work Room, and the editor said, well, I've never heard of it. I took it out of the book. A month later, they were given like $8 million, and oh, yeah. then later they were on the Today Show. Huh. Um, a lot of things we can find and learn from nextdoor.com. Hey, do you know someone that does bookkeeping? So I, I did that. Um, back in the day when they say, well, I really wasn't hiring people. Back in the day, we had people that did our um, made the copies, made our workbooks. You know, we supported the small businesses in San Francisco. But that was one of the failings. The other thing I will say as an entrepreneur, and the fact is I don't, I consult sometimes, but my speak, my business is primarily speaking, is the dependence on the economy. So while everyone goes, oh, we had a terrible recession in 2008, I go, oh, really? You should have seen the one in 1992. I have survived at least every eight to 10 years. There's a problem and you don't know what to do. So it's going to sound so um, old fashioned. Don't go for all the bright, shiny objects. Don't worry that you don't have the latest car that doesn't need a key that you just have to talk to it to get it to start. Am I kind of... of, (laughs) Be smart. Um, Keep some money off to the side, because I think what happens is in entrepreneurial ventures, while you're busy giving the speeches and on the road, you're not doing the marketing. Then all of a sudden you come back. The calendar is a little light. Then you start doing this again. Then you're back on the road and the calendar's light. So I think you have to know the ups and downs of business and really make sure that you don't, this is what I was taught by my friend Michael LaBeouf, who wrote The Millionaire Next 
store or something like that. He also wrote Customers for Life, Live Beneath Your Means. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm at a point in my life that I've done a lot of that, I live beneath my, my means. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that makes things very nice because that way you can send baby gifts to your friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can send donations to the charities you support. So that I think that would be it is that there's being an entrepreneur. There's a lot of up and ups and downs. Mm. There's feast and famine. And there, there is no reason to fear hard work. And all these people that tell you that they only work eight hours a week or four hours a week or whatever, you aren't going to have a success if you're working four hours a week. Well, you know, thinking about, about that piece, about how hard you have to work and how much time it takes. And it's not just, I mean, particularly as an entrepreneur, you can't easily say there's office time and home time because you're always sort of on, you're always listening, you're always sort of thinking about things. Well, how do you approach that? Like, what's self-care look like within the world of, I mean, traveling, just just even talking to Dory Clark and all the travel she's done and how, like, exhausting it can be. I'm not sure that I even want to do that much travel. What What is a sort of a week-to-month sort of schedule look like? Are, are you practicing any sort of daily routines or? Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. Okay, here's my daily. Um, I uh, DVR all my shows. So that the first thing I do every morning, and by the way, I get up kind of early, um, is I, I read, now this is really old school, I read three print newspapers every morning and several online. I am like, I just have to be educated. And that's another tip. When you are starting your own business, at, whether it's a leader, I don't care what you're doing, you have to be a lifelong learner. And so I, I read a lot. I don't read thrillers and I don't read mysteries and I don't read romances. I read to learn. So that's number one. But while I'm doing that, I'm watching the night before um, monologues of Seth Meyers, uh, Trevor Noah, Stephen Colbert. And I've just started to subscribe to James Corden because I want to start my every day laughing. Nice. And that's what I do. And I read my Wall Street Journal. But I don't just read it. I read it with the scissors. Because if there's an article that makes sense, it's going to come into a book that's going to be in a speech. Or if I hear a phrase, I was watching this uh, front line. And there from last night, I was watching it today, and I heard this great phrase. The new... the Oh, I said, there is no normal, and that is the new normal. And I tweeted that, and I put in that it was Frontline PBS. So I listened to South Park, and whether it's the Big Bang Theory or whatever, if I hear a good line, um, often on Sunday morning, someone will say something, I'll go, oh, my God, that's something we should all be aware of. I'll send that out as a tweet with a quote and where it came from. So that's my morning. And then I always, at the night before, I have a list of what I'm going to do. And then somebody, I turn on email and someone says, oh, I have to interview you and my deadline's tomorrow. So there goes my to-do list. I always take time for the media, the same amount of time for the little, what we used to call the little throwaway rag as I would take if it's the New York Times. And 
and I think that's how I kept my name out there a lot. And I, I'm still in touch with a lot of the people that have written about me. Um, and I always give them more than they ask for so they could figure out what they want. I don't just answer their questions. It's like maybe all of you are younger, but maybe you know the Belushi version, the dragnet. I don't do just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. How boring is that? If all you give is facts, and by the way, I love facts, and let's fact check everybody. But how about the story? I mean, you heard me talk about my brother's nephew. You heard me talk about my friend where I'm Auntie Susan. You know, you and I dory together. You, you, you know, I bring in the other people in my life and the other events in my life. Because what we always must be to build our business is a person to other people. If we are a commodity or a service, we're missing the connection. And the only thing that builds connection is really conversation, Mm, whether it's online or face-to-face. And you know that. You're the king of schmooze. Mm. Well, I'm going to quote you on that. According to Susan Rowan. <laughs> yeah, who's, who really launched this whole industry. You know, it, it's amazing to talk to you because I imagine a lot of the same skills apply to today, but it's almost like we've forgotten them. I've, I've often said in this Facebook world, we've forgotten how to do FaceTime, and I don't mean the app. Right. right. <laughs> oh, I like it. Don't mistake a little interchange on Twitter, and like you said, Facebook, for picking up the phone, making a call, scheduling a Skype, doing a FaceTime. Whenever I'm walking, because I live in Boston, and there's a lot of opportunities to walk, you know, 10, Mm. 20 20 minutes to get somewhere and not even be on a train, just be by yourself. In those in-between moments, I always think, well, who could I just reach out to? Like, you know, what time is it? Where are people? Who's, Who's home during the day? that's maybe unemployed, who's on the West Coast, and this is the right time for them. And often I end up leaving voicemails, and then I'll get an email back saying, that was wonderful to check in, like, let's set up a time. I think that, I don't know, it's almost like the phones become this foreign thing that we don't know how to use. And yet when I grew up, I mean, you couldn't get me off of it. You'd go to school all day, you'd come home, you'd get on the phone to talk to your friends about what happened in school. But now... My best friends, you know, you make a that random phone call and it feels like a gift. So you're right. Like if I did that two times a week, it would still be, you know, more than I most people are doing a year. And just to keep that in mind, keep a short list of people that you want to reach out to, you know, make sure you kind of know what's going on in their life. Yeah, there's just an intentionality around it. Right. Now, here's another thing. I know that people, uh, well, these are the 5% of the people that I think are going to be most important in my life to help my career. I don't do that, Robbie. And maybe there's something wrong with me, but I have managed to amass a lot of people that I know just by doing natural things. It's, I think the intention of, I need to stay in touch with you because you're the 5% who could do the most for me. Ooh, that seems so sleazy. Yeah. Yeah, now, other it. people would say that that's very good planning and that's leveraging your strategies or whatever BS they want to call it. But I think what you just said, who would I like to talk to? And by the way, it's sometimes not the person unemployed. It's the person who's employed, 
but like you is, you know, self-employed. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends are speakers. So even if we just leave a message and maybe they're on the road, it's I'm thinking of you. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to think beyond our, you know, our own little worlds. This is what you're good at. You're good at keeping in touch with people and just thinking of them when the time is right. I, In fact, keeping in touch is my last question for you. What is the best way people can find you or follow your work? Okay, best. Here's my website, uh, www.susanroane. My website has a lot of things and videos and articles and blog. But the best thing to do is, I'll give you my email, is susan at susanroan.com. But follow me on Twitter, at Susan Rowan. I post four and five times a day. It'll be articles. It'll be fun things. It'll be things that I read that I thought, oh, wow, you'd want to know them. Things to talk about. If you're not sure what your conversation should be, read because then you'll learn more. Um, so I think Twitter is a, another way to follow me. Or you could do um, Facebook, Susan Rowan Biz, mm-hmm. Facebook slash Susan Rowan Biz. Thank you. So much again, Susan. I'm so glad that we were able to meet all those years ago, stay in touch all this time, and that you agreed to be a guest in this show. Thank you for joining us this hour. Well, I expect to see you all here in the Bay Area, and um, Auntie Susan and Grant will have a little conversation about mom and dad. That sounds great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Susan Rowan. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things that stood out for me was how Susan could trace her experience with networking back to when she was first starting her career. It was through personal connections that she landed her first job as a teacher, making it clear that it isn't what you know that counts as much as who you know. That is still true today, yet as we're amassing LinkedIn connections, we're getting a bit confused about who we really know. Susan suggested doing an exercise to dig deeper into our networks and rediscover who we're connected to and what they're up to these days. Here are the steps to do this using your LinkedIn contact list. Start by clicking on my network in the top navigation bar. And then on the left side of your screen, you'll see how many connections you have and an option to click see all. Once you've clicked that, you'll be able to sort by last added, first name, or last name. Unfortunately, LinkedIn recently had a huge update, and the tag and note option that I've been encouraging folks to use is now only available if you pay for LinkedIn. But I have found a free option that will help you tag profiles and write private notes, basically a simple CRM like it was before. The free option is a Chrome extension called DuxSoup. That's D-U-X dash S-O-U-P. I'll include the link in the show notes so you can easily add it to your Chrome browser. Look for it at ontheschmooze.com, episode 35. I really also liked Susan's tip to make hay while the sun shines phone calls. Hay stands for how are you? I've been trying to fit a couple of these kinds of calls in each month and people have really enjoyed hearing from me out of the blue. It really is remarkable how personal a phone call is when we're usually keeping up with each other by reading Facebook updates or tweets. 
How can you incorporate this into your life? Maybe make a short list of six to 10 people you want to reach out to. Whenever you have 15 minutes to spare, give one of them a phone call. Whatever you do, keep in mind that the device in your pocket actually makes phone calls. And it isn't just for browsing Facebook, checking email, and playing the latest game craze. As Susan said, if we are a commodity or a service, we are missing the connection. The only thing that builds connections is conversation, whether online or face-to-face. To keep the conversation going and keep track of who I value connecting with, I use Contactually, a robust CRM that's perfect for managing my professional network. I use it to help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant. As an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit Contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 35. Well, We've done it again. We have reached the end of another episode of On The Schmooze. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to discover other business podcasts, check out C-Suite Radio at c-suiteradio.com, where you'll find On The Schmooze in good company with other C-Suite Radio headliners. I want to sincerely thank all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating and review in iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review in iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be sharing my thoughts on the ABCs of business cards. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.